1854, the Medicine Creek Treaty between regional Native American tribes and Washington's territorial government kicked off a years-long conflict that forever changed the story of the Pacific Northwest. 68 years later, in 1922, the Sacagawea chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution placed a bronze plaque commemorating the momentous treaty upon the single remaining Douglas fir that remained at the place where the treaty was signed. It became forever known as Treaty Tree. Today, that tree is gone, but the clues left behind may be able to point us to the exact spot where it once stood amongst a grove of fir trees that bore witness to a pivotal moment in the history of Washington State. I'm Eric Ebel, your fearless field guide to Washington State history, heritage, and culture. And thank you for joining me today to learn more about one of the most important, controversial, and ultimately critical treaties in the state's history. This is the Washington Our Home podcast. First, a little housekeeping. As more and more of you are beginning to subscribe to the podcast, my analytics are beginning to show a slow climb in downloads. Thank you all for that, and please don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Blueberry, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. The more ratings you leave, the wider we can spread the knowledge and the more people we can reach. And if you're interested in reaching the people who are already listening... Reach out to me about sponsorship opportunities. I'd love to have some local flavors supporting this podcast, whether it's a brewery or distillery, local clothing manufacturer, tribal business, restaurant, museum, whatever. Shoot me an email at eric, that's E-R-I-C-H, at washingtonourhome.com, and let's talk. You know, when the Washington State History Museum opened in Tacoma in the mid-1990s, one of the exhibits featured in the Great Hall of Washington History was a series of dioramas depicting pivotal moments in state history. Of course, the Medicine Creek Council was one of them, and it depicted then-territorial Governor Isaac Stevens debating the finer points of the treaty with Chief Leshy of the Nisqually Indians. The recorded dialogue between the two went something like this. This is a great day for you and us. A day of peace and friendship between you and the whites for all time to come. You are about to be paid for your lands, and the Great Father has sent me today to treat with you concerning the payment. The Great Father lives far off. He has many children. Some of these children came here when he knew but little of them, or of the Indians, and he sent me to inquire into these things. We went through this country last year, teamed your numbers and saw your wants. We felt much for you, and went to the Great Father to tell him what we had seen. The Great Father felt for his children. He pitied them, and he has sent me here today to express those feelings and to make a treaty for your benefit. The Great Father has many white children who come here, some to build mills, some to make farms, and some to fish. And the Great Father wishes you to have homes, pasture for your horses and fishing places. He wishes you to learn to farm, and your children to go to a good school. And he now wants me to make a bargain with you, in which you sell your lands and in return be provided with all of these things. The exhibit at the Washington State History Museum entertained and educated audiences for more than 20 years. But if you didn't get to see it, you unfortunately never will. It was torn out in 2017 to make room for their Washington My Home exhibit, dedicated to immigration, incidentally named after the Washington State song, which also inspired the name of this podcast, blog, and consulting company, all available at WashingtonOurHome.com. At this company, I work face-to-face -face with historical and cultural community organizations to determine their most immediate communications and marketing needs, mid-range objectives, 
as well as long-term goals to provide them with expert communications and marketing assistance to help establish and fulfill that organization's strategic vision. Our mission at Washington Our Home is to help cultural institutions in Washington State discover and share their stories by expanding and enriching the experience of their audiences. This, what we're doing right here, right now on this podcast, helps fulfill that mission. Now, enough of the shameless self-promotion. Let me tell you about the reasons why I began this search for the Medicine Creek Treaty Tree in the hopes that you can reach its destination with me. Every day... Hundreds of thousands of Washingtonians traverse our state's western corridor along I-5. For a long time, my daily commute would take me from Lacey to Tacoma and back again, and to while away the time, I'd often daydream about what fantastical historical events may have taken place alongside. How many of us never stopped to think about how our state would be different if certain things had never happened, or if some small change would have caused a completely different outcome? My commute took me past the site of Fort Eaton and other blockhouses, the Lacey Dynamite plant that killed 11 people in a deafening explosion in 1934, the Medicine Creek Treaty, the Nisqually River, tribal culture, DuPont's one-of-a-kind dynamite train, Forts Lewis, Nisqually, and Stillicum, the Western Washington Hospital for the Insane, now known as Western State Hospital, and dozens of others. Turns out, it's a bottomless pit of discovery, as our state has a seemingly never-ending wealth of fascinating, captivating stories. In 1854, the United States was very interested in acquiring the vast amounts of land that purportedly belonged to the Indians and took to signing hastily composed, often unfair treaties with members of tribes across the country, who may or may not have understood what they were signing, in order to legitimize their seizure of the land. Early in that year, the 14th President of the United States, Franklin Pierce, sent a letter to Chief Seattle of the Suquamish tribe, seeking to purchase the land which today makes up Washington State. The chief's beautiful and poetic response generally reflected the feelings of many of the tribal peoples across Washington. He said, How can you buy or sell the sky, the land? The idea is strange to us. If we do not own the freshness of the air and the sparkle of the water, how can you sell them? Every part of this earth is sacred to my people. Every shining pine needle, every humming insect, all are holy in the memory and experience of my people. Nevertheless, months later on December 24th, the Medicine Creek Council took place on the Nisqually Delta in Thurston County. Pioneer Ezra Meeker described the location as, quote, a small wooded knoll on the right bank of the Shinanam Creek, known locally as McAllister Creek, about one mile above the mouth, where the waters of the creek fall into and mingle with the tides of Puget Sound, unquote. On behalf of the United States, we have the lead negotiator, Washington's first territorial governor, and superintendent of Indian affairs, and head of the Pacific Railroad Survey's Northern Party, and former U.S. Army officer, Isaac Ingalls Stevens. He brought along his 12-year-old son, Hazard, who also signed the treaty and went on to become another notable Washingtonian. Along with Lieutenant William Slaughter, James and John McAllister, Clovington Cushman, likely a relative of Orrington Cushman, Stevens's later interpreter and for whom Lake Cushman is named, and Washington's first Secretary of State, Charles Mason, for whom Mason County is named, and who served as acting governor while Stevens was away signing treaties across the territory. 
Mason, incidentally, is buried at Tumwater Pioneer Cemetery right across the street from Walmart. <clears throat> 62 members of the various tribes allegedly signed the treaty, which they and their people soon came to regret, because they ended up relinquishing 2.5 million acres of tribal land to the U.S. in exchange for three 1,280-acre reservations, $32,500 to be paid out over 13 years, and other considerations that aimed to assimilate Indians into European-American culture. When he arrived at Medicine Creek on Christmas Eve, Stevens brought with him the already drafted treaty language and had it read to the approximately 662 tribal delegates during the course of the three-day council. The two most well-known players in this epic historical saga are General Isaac Stevens and Leshai of the Nisqually tribe. More commonly known today as Chief Leshai, it's generally accepted that he was not considered a chief, or even a sub-chief. Instead, as Ezra Meeker stated, Quote, Leshai was but a common citizen of the Nisqually tribe, yet one of influence and universally liked. Unquote. Regardless, Governor Stevens distributed certificates of authority to selected Indians, whom he himself chose, who were to represent their tribes at the council. Among the Nisqually, Leshai's brother was appointed a full chief, while Leshai was deemed a subchief by Stevens. Note that earlier I said members of the various tribes allegedly signed the treaty. There is debate to this day whether Leshai indeed marked the treaty with an X or if it was forged on his behalf. Author Joseph T. Hazard notes that Ezra Meeker, who was not there, wrote that Leshai, quote, ranted and raved against that treaty, tore up his commission, and cast it in fury at the feet of Governor Stevens, unquote. Frank Shaw, on the other hand, who was there, and who lived a long and honored life with Northwest citizens and Indians, said, quote, I saw Leshai make that cross and the secretary write the name opposite to it, unquote. Whether Leshai affixed the mark to the treaty next to his name or not will likely be a detail forever lost to history. Historian Kent Richards described Isaac Stevens as, quote, a man either loved or hated, but seldom ignored, unquote. A graduate of West Point, Stevens served valiantly in a number of 19th century conflicts, including the Mexican-American War, before being awarded the territorial governorship of Washington as a result of his early support for Dark Horse presidential candidate Franklin Pierce. When Stevens arrived at the Medicine Creek site, as I said earlier, he had the treaty ready in its final form. Though the two sides appeared to negotiate as equals, which was reflected in the diorama at the State History Museum, the reality was that Stevens dominated the council and allowed no major modifications of the pre-drafted treaty. After it was signed, interpreter Benjamin Shaw rode over to Nisqually two or three days later to meet with Leshai and his brother. He reported that they were, quote, very much dissatisfied and complained very much about the proceedings, unquote. Still, on March 3, 1855, the Medicine Creek Treaty was ratified by the U.S. Senate and President Franklin Pierce proclaimed it law a little over a month later. Meanwhile, on the eastern side of the Cascades, the Yakima Indians and other bands were doing more than complaining about the treaties that had been imposed upon them, 
By September 1855, Native warriors had killed Indian agent Andrew Bolin and won a victory over Major Granville Haller's regular army forces in eastern Washington. In response, acting Governor Charles Mason called statewide for the formation of volunteer companies. One such military unit, the Puget Sound Rangers, also known as Eaton's Rangers, attempted on October 24th to seize Leshai and his brother as a preventative measure. Side note, whoever Eaton's Rangers was named after, and I'll look that up later, likely inspired the pioneer blockhouse in Lacey known as Fort Eaton, or possibly even could have been related to Thomas Van Eaton, who founded the town of Eatonville about 30 years later. Anyway, the two brothers escaped, however, and began building a coalition of native forces, as the two sides skirmished off and on during the early days of the war, Ranger James McAllister and Farmer Michael Connell were ambushed and killed by Leshai's men. There's now a monument to that incident on Connell's Prairie in northern Pierce County. These events, which took place nearly simultaneously with the Yakima Uprising, kicked off what is now known as the Puget Sound War, or the Greater Indian Wars of 1855. Let's take a quick break and get back to the story right after this. Every 10 years, the census comes along and it seems like everyone I know always asks the same two questions. What is the census and why does it even matter? Let me give it to you straight. The census counts every single person living in America. An accurate count of our community tells us where there are more people and where there are more people, there are more needs. Our participation could impact how public funding flows to our schools, health clinics, senior care, job training, and housing. It even determines our congressional representation. I don't know about you, but it sure sounds like the census matters to me. This year, take a little time for the 2020 census. You can complete it online, by phone, or by mail, and make sure you count everybody you live with. Your mama, daddy, sweetheart, babies, roommates, everyone. This chance only comes every 10 years, so let's step up and be counted. Shape your future. Start here. Learn more at 2020census.gov. Paid for by U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back. Let's take a closer look at the two men at the center of this. After his term as territorial governor, Isaac Stevens later served as the congressional delegate for Washington Territory before being commissioned as a colonel, then promoted to brigadier general, fighting for the Union cause in numerous Civil War battles. He was killed, however, in action by a bullet to the head at the Battle of Chantilly on September 1st, 1862. During the Indian War and after its conclusion, Isaac Stevens maintained an uncompromising attitude toward Indian opposition leaders, including Leshai and his brother. His view was reflected in a letter written to Colonel George Wright on October 4, 1856. Sir, I have received your letter of this date in answer to my requisition for the delivery of Leshai and others to be sent to the Sound to be tried by the civil authorities. These men are notorious murderers and committed their acts of atrocity under circumstances of treachery and bloodthirstiness almost beyond example. All belong to bands with whom treaties have been made, and in the case of all, the treaty had been sanctioned by the Senate, and the execution of the treaty has been placed in my hand. Whether a treaty has been made or not, I am of the opinion that men guilty of such acts should at least be tried, and if convicted, punished. Tried, convicted, and punished, Leshai was. During the war, a firefight between the U.S. forces and members of the Nisqually tribe resulted in the death of Colonel Abrams Benton Moses. Stevens blamed Leshai for Moses' death, called it a murder, and ordered his arrest. In November 1856, territorial authorities captured Leshai, who was put on trial in federal territorial court. 
Leshai's attorneys not only proclaimed his innocence, but argued that an act committed during wartime could not be punished in civilian courts. The trial ended in a hung jury. And interesting to note that Ezra Meeker was one of those two holdout jurors. Months later, however, a one-day retrial took place, and although his lawyers presented new evidence from the U.S. Army that indicated Leshai was miles away at the time of Moses' death, the court found him guilty of murder. On February 19, 1858, roughly 300 people gathered around an outdoor gallows near Fort Stillicum to witness his execution. Historian Murray Morgan wrote that Leshai, quote, bowed to the spectators, prayed silently for several minutes, and spoke for the last time. He said he had made his peace with God and desired to live no longer. He bore no malice to no man save one, upon whom he invoked the vengeance of heaven, unquote. There's now a historical marker at the site of Leshai's hanging placed in 1963 near Lakewood, Washington. Though Leshai expressed regret for some of the raids in which his people engaged, he insisted to the end he was innocent of Moses' murder. And many people, including his own hangman, believed him. Years later, Charles Granger recalled, I felt that I was hanging an innocent man, and I believe it yet. In 1895, Leshai's body was exhumed from a secluded spot off the reservation and reburied within its boundaries. His body was moved again in 1917 to the Puyallup Tribal Cemetery. A large tombstone identifies Leshai as an arbitrator of his people and includes this inscription. Judicially murdered February 19, 1858, owing to misunderstanding of treaty of 1854-55, serving his people by his death, sacrificed to a principle a martyr to liberty, honor, and the rights of people of his native land, erected by those he died to serve. Beginning in 2002, members of the Nisqually tribe, including some of Leshai's descendants, began a concerted campaign to clear his name. The effort paid off in 2004 when both the Washington State House and Senate passed resolutions recommending that the state Supreme Court conduct an extraordinary review of Leshai's conviction. The Supreme Court declined, but they did organize a historical court of inquiry to retry Leshai in absentia. The prosecution's case was based on the legal record that, quote, the territorial justice system was thorough and professional, strictly adhering to the rules of the law, unquote. The defense countered with the point that the Nisqually and the Washington territorial government were at war, and thus under the law of war, Moses' death was not a murder by whoever killed him, but an unfortunate consequence of the conflict. After more than three hours of testimony and evidence, the court decided that a state of war did exist between the Washington territorial government and the sovereign Nisqually nation at the time of Moses' death, that the killing, no matter who committed it, was a legitimate act of war and therefore should have been immune from civil prosecution. The seven-member court ruled that Leshai had been charged, prosecuted, convicted, and executed for a non-existent crime. And consequently, Leshai was declared exonerated of Abrams Moses' murder. The Medicine Creek Treaty was a turning point in the history of the Puget Sound region. Today, the original document is stored at the Legislative and Diplomatic Branch of the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Two historical markers presently commemorate the Medicine Creek Treaty here in Washington State, 
A monument, erected by the Washington State Historical Society in 1922, lies along Old Pacific Highway. Another marker, set up by Timberline High School students in 1976, is located on Nisqually Bluff, overlooking the Medicine Creek Council site. At the site itself was located perhaps the most stirring physical reminder of that pivotal moment in Washington State history known as Treaty Tree. The tree was alive in December 1854 and bore witness to the historic council. But today, well, not much remains. The tree began to die shortly after the construction of Interstate 5, and despite the best human efforts to preserve its life, it finally blew down in a storm December of 2006. So where are these markers? And can you visit them today? And is it still possible to visit the exact site where Stevens and Leshy and all their assembled associates decided the future of the greatest state in the lower 48? We'll find out right after this. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you are experiencing these symptoms and have come into contact or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult with a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Now, the search begins for Treaty Tree. As anyone in the South Sound knows, sometimes it's best just to skirt around the southbound traffic backups on I-5 in the Nisqually Delta. Just south of DuPont in Pierce County, the southbound freeway reduces from four lanes to three, leading to the inevitable congestion during rush hour. Many of us take the Mounts Road exit, choosing instead to enjoy the more scenic, albeit a bit longer, route that cuts through part of the Nisqually community. Side note here, in researching this topic, I discovered something new. At the Mounts Road off-ramp, turning right actually leads to the Nisqually Cultural Center and Community Garden. That's something I'm looking forward to touring in the near future. Turning left, as most of us do, leads past one of the most common roadside sites in America, the nondescript gas station and market. Just off Old Pacific Highway at this location, you can find the Shinanam Marker, a stone tablet giving us our first indication of the Medicine Creek Treaty and the tree that bore witness to its creation, then stood guard over that location for over a century and a half. The marker reads, Medicine Creek Treaty, one and one quarter miles northwest, is a bronze tablet placed by the Sacagawea Chapter DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution, marking site where Governor Stevens held council with Nisqually, Puyallup, and Squaxin Indians December 24 through 26, 1854. Interesting to note that this was not the original location of the marker. In June of 1994, the Thurston County Historical Commission moved it to a, quote, less hazardous location, unquote. However, in a public records request, I was not able to discover anything indicating the original location of the Shinanam marker. But I assumed that, since the marker itself denotes a distance, the county wouldn't have moved it to a location any more or less distant from the bronze tablet it references. So I went to the map, and I drew a one and one quarter mile radius around the Shinanam marker, and I noticed something that had never occurred to me before. The marker was very close to the exact distance from another monument I had just recently discovered. Perhaps its original location was just a tad closer to this other monument. 
Driving northbound on I-5 from Lacey, as you descend the hill into Nisqually, you can spot a small, nondescript orb standing watch over the freeway. It's at the end of a clearing on the left side, and at 65-plus miles per hour, it's very easy to miss, especially at night or in a driving rainstorm. Now, it just so happened that in 2016, a colleague of mine at the Washington State Archives, Olympia Branch Archivist Benjamin Helley, published an article in that agency's newsletter about a little-known and seldom-visited monument in the South Sound area dedicated to the Medicine Creek Treaty. As I began to connect the dots, I realized that I had to get a look at that marker. As part of the American Bicentennial Celebrations in 1976, a group of teachers and students from Timberline High School in Lacey organized the Medicine Creek Treaty Tree Memorial Committee to construct a monument to the nearby dying treaty tree. After a few trials and errors, I succeeded in finding a road that came close to where the monument lay, and crossing a vacant field and hiking a short way through the woods, the trail gave way to a ridge overlooking the freeway, and to my left, clearly visible, was the orb I had been seeking. The sphere itself is actually a time capsule filled with material relevant to the purpose of the project to be opened in 2076. It contains a copy of, I'll be 101 years old. It contains a copy of the 1854 treaty, copies of Lacey and Olympia newspapers, names of all the students and faculty involved, letters to the future from officials and students, along with several typical artifacts common to 1976. And I don't know what those were, maybe an Elton John 8-track and a pull-topped can of tab soda. I don't know. The Medicine Creek Treaty Tree Monument's isolated location is both a blessing and a curse. While the structure remains entirely intact, it was unfortunately also adorned with graffiti, overgrown shrubbery, moss, and trash. A sun-bleached and tattered American flag clung perilously to the tip of the steel beam, and the grounds around it were littered with empty beer cans and liquor bottles. However, last year, in 2019, students and teachers of Timberline High School gathered to clean and restore the monument in honor of Timberline High School's 50th anniversary. There's a plaque at the foot of the orb, a very nice chiseled stone or marble marker, but there's no bronze to be found. Since the Timberline Sphere has no bronze and is 1.64 miles from the 1922 Shinanam marker, where is the bronze tablet? And if neither of these monuments are near the actual site where the treaty was signed, where is the actual location of Treaty Tree? As it turns out, the bronze plaque referred to by the Shinanam marker was actually affixed to Treaty Tree itself by the Daughters of the American Revolution in 1922, the same year they installed the marker. However, in the 1970s, the bronze plaque vanished. Thought to be stolen for its metal value, it was missing for over a decade, before it turned up in 1985 in the Washington State Historical Society's collection. The bronze plaque reads, quote, Site of the Medicine Creek Treaty between Governor I.I. I. Stevens and Puget Sound Indians, 1854, marked by Sacagawea Chapter, Daughters of the American Revolution, 1922. And its location would have been exactly one and one quarter miles from the site of the Shinanam marker. So we found the Shinanam marker on Old Pacific Highway. We found the Timberline Sphere on Nisqually Ridge. And we found, much farther away than one and one quarter miles, the bronze plaque commemorating the historic location. 
So where exactly is Treaty Tree? Well, a picture in the Washington State Archives gives us our best clue. The Department of Highways was careful to avoid the Treaty Tree when it constructed I-5 through the area in the 1960s. But fill dirt placed in the right-of-way likely affected its health. In the picture, which you can find on my website, you can see the mostly bare tree just north of the freeway, near a slough or a creek. What is today's Billy Frank Jr. Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge can be seen behind it, with the twin barns in the upper left. Comparing that 1960s picture to a Google Earth image from roughly the same angle, we can match the visual points to align ourselves. The Heritage Barns, McAllister Creek beneath the freeway, and of course the Treaty Tree location itself. The tree appears to be located just east of the on-ramp entrance, making it quite difficult to access on foot. In fact, the area is fenced off with barbed wire and signs indicating no trespassing on U.S. fish and wildlife lands. But there was one person with enough clout to access the site when the tree blew down in that December 2006 windstorm. And that person was none other than Billy Frank Jr. Frank, who passed away May 5, 2014, at the age of 83, was a Nisqually tribal leader who believed in the promise of the Medicine Creek Treaty and the power of collaboration to fulfill it. He was quoted in the Seattle Times, and I personally strongly feel that his insight is just as appropriate today, that, quote, We are all together. We are one people here. What are we going to leave our children? A better place or a bigger problem? Unquote. Before Treaty Tree died, seedlings were collected and planted around the area. From those seedlings, now fully grown, a new crop of seedlings was harvested and gifted to native tribes and others. Standing at the site of the fallen icon in 2006, Frank had this to say. This old-timer, his day has passed. But as long as the grass grows and the river flows and the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that treaty is alive. My journey to the Nisqually Delta to try to find the tree yielded only glimpses of what I thought might be the tree's remains. But whether we can access such an important historical site to snap a few pictures and ruminate on the significance of the location should really be secondary to simply enjoying the peaceful, natural beauty of the Billy Frank Jr. Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge and passing on what we've learned to future generations. And that concludes this podcast on the search for the Medicine Creek Treaty Tree. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe for new episodes featuring stories from Washington State's history, heritage, and culture. And follow Washington Our Home on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's lots of great content on YouTube. And if you're looking for scenic pictures from around the state, look no further than the Pinterest pages. I hope you enjoyed this month's episode. You can reach me at eric, that's E-R-I-C-H, at WashingtonOurHome.com to send feedback, ask questions, or just say hi. Coming next month, we'll take a look at the most widespread and lethal outbreak of disease to afflict humankind worldwide in recorded history. The pathogen's place of origin is still debated, but the role of World War I in its rapid spread is undisputed. Though Washington fared a lot better than most states, in just three months, it killed nearly 5,000 Washingtonians. I'm talking, of course, about the misnamed Spanish flu of 1918. Until then, I'm your fearless field guide, Eric Ebel,
and I'll see you somewhere in Washington.